Hello, and welcome to the Research Ops Podcast, an initiative of the Research Ops Community. I'm Holly Cole, the Executive Director of the Research Ops Community, and I'll be your host today. I'm assuming that if you're listening, then you might know a little bit about research operations. Our work in the community defines it as the roles, tools, and processes needed to support researchers in delivering and scaling the impact of research across an organization. If you'd like to know more, you can find us at our website, researchops.community, on our medium publications in English, French, German, and Portuguese by searching for Research Ops Community. You can follow us on Twitter at, at Team Reops. Find the group on LinkedIn and join in the conversation everywhere by searching for hashtag ResearchOps and hashtag ReOps. Welcome back to the second half of the podcast with Rowan Irvine. We couldn't quite get it all in last time, mostly because we wanted to talk beyond Rowan's philosophy on research ops and research and organization and his templates and frameworks on how he gets things done. But the three things you brought up last time we talked about were your philosophy, were networking, being a conduit for relationships and interaction, being part of better decision-making within an organization, and being aware of the larger organizational culture that you exist in. So that's your philosophy of research operations. And then we started talking about how you've offered up so many templates and frameworks that you've shared out and given to people because you were so often early on a team of one, which can be a bottleneck for a lot of people. Can you talk to me really quickly about how templates and frameworks can help guide those conduits for relationships and better decisions inside an organization? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think being chronically under-resourced is something that maybe everyone always feels in, in research because they're like, oh yeah, cool. Can you just do all of the research, deliver all of that beautiful insight, share that with the entire company, make sure everyone can find everything that they have going on the top of their minds uh, and then also develop all the practices. And so uh, like, you know, after after you try that, I would say you don't realize it, but after you try it once, <laughs> you're like, oh, it turns out I can't be everyone. Um, uh, for me, the next step in that was, okay, well, what is the, what are the things that um, I need to do at the moment just because I'm the person with the skill and the knowledge and the thinking? And what are the things that I can give to other people to do that are at a quality that I'm comfortable with and at like a, you know, like ramification that I'm also comfortable with within the organization. And if I'm going to do that, how can I use those also to make the connection throughout the organization? Because uh, again, I, I don't like creating things for the sake of creating things. I am very focused on understanding what is something that can dial up everything within the organization I'm within um, without ruffling too many feathers. And I'd say ruffling too many because like some people just aren't going to like it regardless of what you do because what you're actually doing a lot of time in operations is <laughs> a lot of times you're actually creating some accountability, which people do not like. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes they don't like it for like maybe like a, a sinister reason, but a lot of times some people don't like it just because it's new and difficult and hard and is a bit more vulnerable documenting something where you used to keep it pretty fluid. And so the templates that I create or the processes that I create are really around solidifying the knowledge within the organization in a way that someone can come in and understand what has happened and the thinking that has happened and also connect it to other parts of the business just beyond 
the thing that they were doing. And, and it sounds really vague because like they always start off as research processes. And every time I roll one of these out, you realize it is cultural change within the organization. It is connection, transparency, clarity, all of the things that are necessary for any company to be able to reach whatever the next level is that they've decided is the next level because you don't bring someone in to start addressing this stuff or start addressing research ops in particular if there's no desire within the organization to change anything or to grow or to or to like help move it into like i i I don't want to necessarily use maturity but like you know to mature things within the organization I, I don't know any um, operations people that I've spoken to in the community who are at an organization where they're not trying to grow or do something like they're always, they're always there and they're like, yeah, everything is hard. Please come in and make it easier for us um, so that we can achieve whatever goal, whatever goal it is. That's a very short answer. And I'm unsure if it actually answered your question, Holly. It, so you actually got to something that, I don't think gets talked about often enough, um, which is how often operations is uncomfortable because it's about accountability and 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 making the unseen seen, which it, so often for qualitative work can can be. A, a little bit of of smudge when you're when you are trying to do all the things as a a, a team a small team. So yeah, has talked to me about how that's happened to you before as an operations person and getting through that. Yeah, so sometimes you get through it. Sometimes you hit that wall and it hurts really hard, mm-hmm. and you can walk around it. And sometimes you hit that wall and it's an endless wall and you, you have to move somewhere else. Because I think that, you know, one of the things, one of the things that's really interesting uh, about research operations that, that I've found, and I'm not sure if it's because it's the way that I go about um, understanding things, like the way I generate, uh, I guess, like my knowledge of how an organization works is literally just by going out and talking to every single person that I can find that is impacted like within the organization. And and that kind of works for the places I've been at because there've been about 300, 400 people max. And even even at REA group, which was, there were 1500, 900 people in Australia and then uh, like a chunk overseas. You still have the ability to kind of get through and talk to most of the people and understand how information and knowledge and decisions are made within the organization mm-hmm. and then plan for like well actually it's the assessment of um what is that creating within the organization how do you want to change that and what is researchers responsibility within creating that change what i tend to find then is that i am often the person within the organization that has the broadest perspective about what is happening across different if we call them like departments like you know the sales department the like product department the um, finance department legal security stuff like that um just because of the things that you need to consider when you're considering research you touch all of those places and you see the problems that they're dealing with and a lot of the times it comes back to um, how decisions are being made and then what process people are following after those decisions are made. And research often just sits somewhere down the end of the chain. And so as soon as you start like looking at, oh, I'm going to fix research here. And, and if you're, if you're an um, inquisitive troublemaker like myself, Holly, you will eventually find yourself talking to the CEO and understanding that there are some very difficult conversations that are going to need to happen at the C-suite level to be able to change outcomes at the product development level. And 
sometimes people are really open to that conversation because they're just unaware of what's happening and other times they're um unaware of their involvement in in what's happening and, and they do they do want to make change and then you know a lot of time you're going to hit you're going to hit people who are not interested in changing their behavior to change kind of the outcomes that you're seeing in research and i think research is um you know broad enough or vague enough that everyone within an organization when they work with a researcher sees enormous benefit mm -hmm. and then that opens a can of worms of well why isn't this happening like why isn't this thing that was so valuable to me happening everywhere and then they start having questions and so like you create this chain effect where um the problems that you're experiencing the ways that you've gone about learning about it the different parts of the organization the like higher up you get they're all starting to have the conversations that you're having because of you know you doing research within the organization and oftentimes you're the only one having a conversation about this in a way to find out what's happening rather than having a conversation in this to uh you know like defend your resources or just make sure that like your team's okay or to like have like some inter inter organizational conflicts that always exist um and i found that uh in in my last role like this was around customer satisfaction and that was what led to like some really uncomfortable conversations within the owner of market research who had been at the company for like 15 years and had like this incredible depth of knowledge about the industry and refused to give up what they perceived as like the power within the organization of the CSAT to be able to drive what they thought was best. And, and I think that like, it's, it's not always, it's not always like malicious, if that makes sense. It's just like this person really believes that the things that they know are the most important thing and they want everyone to do the most important thing. And they're using the CSAT as the vehicle to drive that. And so for me, when I got in there and when I, when I was like, looking at the research operations um, and what needed to be put in place to allow people to focus on important things within the product development phase or like just even within planning and strategy um, they kept having this like cloud of a vague unhelpful CSAT insight telling them they needed to do something even though there was no other evidence for it and so for me, like I took that on, like I had to fix, like, you know, the three things that everyone gets hired to do, which is build us a recruitment panel. So our recruitment's great. Make sure that we've got a research repository that literally everyone in the organization can search whenever mm. they have a thought and um, just upskill generally the entire organization in research. Oh, yeah. So they're the three buckets that everyone, every job ad has that in it. In Sometimes they're, they're like better at, uh, like making it a little bit more spicy yeah but um but in order to do that i needed uh like my initial assessment of the organization was like you know we need tools for a panel um it needs to be able to like connect to salesforce because you're using that as a crm and um you need to get off having to rely on engineering time and resources to get product surveys up in the in the system because that's just like such a waste of time when there are SaaS platforms that do this and your SaaS platform is built in a way that it's very very easy to like connect them in and so um i also then was like well cool like if, we, if we're going to do a panel we should also just buy qualtrics because qualtrics is a survey tool i know how to configure it incredibly well i also know how to customize it and how we can get the most out of it and um, automate a lot of it uh, and with that it took it took the control of the measure of csat out of one department and into product and we were able to explore 
all of the different ways that we could see what was going on within the organization. And that was really tough because that person did not want to give, give up that control. Um, and when you've got a market research person who sees that a design researcher comes into an organization, very like some of them are very threatened. Uh, and so like, you know, they respond in that way. And that was, that was the political discussion that went on within that organization. Honestly, for like the entire time I was there, like it, it never really got resolved. But what I did do was show them an alternative and show them how granular and how focused we could be with our delivery of, of satisfaction, if it was such an important metric within the organization and how we could deliver it to people instantly. And so I was showing them that instead of waiting three months to get insights about what we should be working on, you can go in here at any time and generate like your insights from the CSAT data because we're running it every single day and we're touching way more of the user base and we're able to segment the products instead of asking people what products do you use, we just serve them surveys within the product they were using. Um, and that gave like this incredibly clear picture in comparison within the organization. And then that, that created huge waves of change about like how teams work the product, like how they like discuss and challenge stuff within the organization. Cause sales will say, we need this. And I was like, yeah, but like, the CSAT score for this is three out of seven. Like <laughs> you should probably like figure out if you want to, you want to make something that people want to use before you just add more features to it. Um, or hire people here versus there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, it was like, and, and it started to, it started to give things like it takes on new life, like these tools and these processes, you get them in for one thing, but once you make visible some of the stuff that's going on within an organization suddenly like people stop having as many meaningless conversations and they start having different meaningless conversations <laughs> but some very good ones like why is this block of customer always so unhappy and they were like yeah they're not a good fit and it's like right okay sales team why are you qualifying people that hate our product into like implementation because like how much money are we spending on on that and that created a conversation with sales were like yeah we need a better way to qualify people out of the funnel yep. because this deal is actually costing us this much money and it only brought in x amount of money but like yep. that's not a conversation i i was having with them that was a conversation they just came up with going like yeah like it's weird that they keep giving you zero zero every month across across all of the products that they own maybe there's something that's gone wrong here absolutely i mean i don't think everyone thinks about long-term returns like that particularly research um, and research operations that customers aren't always right for the product yeah and yeah, it's like, it's stuff like that. So like, again, like back to this better decisions, right? Mm -hmm. So much of ops work decisions. is like giving you data with context and insights that you just didn't have access to. And then suddenly, like, you're not having a debate with the CFO about like weird line items. You're having a debate with the CFO about where is the investment going to our strategy for like, or our vision for five years to make sure that we can get out of whatever we're in at the moment and move towards where we need to be as the market mm -hmm. shifts. Like, I think, I think that's, that's something that is like really interesting and has definitely come up multiple times, which is the, like the roundabout or looping conversations that organizations have where everyone's like, well, this is my perspective. And so we're always just going to argue about the same thing. Like sometimes you can just rock up as a researcher, put in a little bit of process and then suddenly everyone's like, oh, right. Yeah, it's very clear. Like, it's just very clear that we shouldn't even be having this conversation because there's this whole pile of things happening in a corner of the product that we didn't realize. Yep. Absolutely. And so 
Yeah, CSAT, CSAT was the big one. I, I think like the big one in my last organization. At the same time, like they did like a, a product reorg and um, they hadn't they hadn't planned to do any any work to help transition the teams. And when I say that, I mean like I'm looking at it from like a facilitation going, hey, like you're about to cause massive change within, you know, the largest part of the business. You've got to step people through this, let them have their feelings, let them reform and then let them refocus like what they want to work on. Uh, and so I ended up like just doing heaps of retros and like facilitation with all of the squads and then building that into like a, a report to then give to senior leadership in product to say, hey, look, this is what everyone's struggling with. Make sure that you're addressing this as we transition into the new ways of working and make sure you give them an opportunity to like build this up. Um, and that's the kind of, like, I mean, for me, that's the kind of culture stuff that I, I think research is really good at because we have this skill set of interviewing and, and synthesizing and questioning people in a way that like they're comfortable sharing what's really happening because you're also not their boss. I think that's something that's really big, like not, not being people's boss and being able to have conversations about like why it's a bit shit working at the moment is uh, really helpful in, in general. Um, and they're the conversations when you're coming in and doing any research ops work, you need to be having anyway to mm -hmm. accurately assess the current level and where you think you can get traction in maturing the practices and helping these teams. Um, and so you just end up with like this amazing view of the organization that no one else seems to have. I keep having conversations about um, uh, engagement survey results where I'm like, yeah, yeah. Remember how I told you about this in March? <laughs> because because i just been like trying to figure out why research was so hard and people are like this is why research is hard and it just shows up again and again and again like in in those things and so um it's it's really interesting uh to see that uh and, and it's like really validating as well for like my role and, and the role of research ops within organization that you can actually see the bus careening off the cliff before <laughs> before it's too late or before like like you know the tragedy happens and you know, the way i address it at least is uh, like you know talking with the senior leadership and being like hey this is this is what's happening putting in place processes that people can capture and tra like transparently see what's happening not just within their squad but then within the broader business and then helping communicate those really important findings and insights that are going to help shape the conversation not just for your squad but for like your bigger your bigger organization team and then the whole organization that's one of the things that i share with people when i interview and, and talk about my previous roles is all of the times that i have looked at the product development process at old jobs and defined it and explained how it works internally and presented it back as an as-is and ideal process. So it is, and then handed it back to them with templates. <laughs> We're like, hey, yeah. this is how you can make it better. So. I I recently like just on that note, right? So I started with why is research hard, and so mm -hmm. I made a research. This this is the okay. So this is this is the this is the research is a conduit within the organization. Um, so I started out like recruitment was really tough when I started my current job, and um, I came in and I realized recruitment's tough because like people don't understand the systems that exist within the organization and how to use them most effectively and they kind of keep hitting like struggles with oh i don't know how to do x so that like for me that's something that i've solved multiple times and so i came in got budget 
got all the tools, got ad, got admin to all the tools, yeah. built some built some processes. Um, they actually had intercom, and I was like, oh mate, you've just got this like gold sitting here. It's going to make your life so much easier. Um, ran some pilots, and then like within within two months of me starting, no one was complaining about recruitment, and I was like, oh, this is good. And um, I think in the first six months, I managed to increase recruitment by about 100%, like like the amount of research interviews happening within the organization, which was really cool. Um, and then that led on to, well, it, it turned out like, like a lot of the conversations around recruitment were about like defining like who they actually wanted to talk to and having it specific enough that they could actually get insights. And so just pretty basic, like bringing in a research plan and um, saying, yeah, when we do research, we fill out our research plan and then we suss out like what what we're missing that's going to make it hard for us to get good quality insights. Um, and so I use purpose, scope and research goals as the, as the conversation um, because I find that that really kind of covers a lot of the things that get you to a point of being able to say, yeah, this is the specific thing that I need to find out or that is too specific and I need to find out a more general thing. Um, and the thing that kept happening was that um, I would talk to people that like, you know, they're, they're sprinting kickoff. They're like, we're in planning. We've got to do some research. We've got to go talk to people. I'm like, cool, cool, cool. Here's the research plan. Um, we would fill out the research plan and it would hit like the purpose statement. I'm like, well, I don't really understand what this is. And I was like, well, yeah, well, like the purpose is like, why are you doing this project? as a whole because if you like you've got to have a pretty clear idea of like where it's come from and why it's important and things like that to be able to know what answers you need in research and um they're like cool like it's a little bit vague um and i just kept having this conversation with people saying yeah this is this is too vague like you can't you can't make good research decisions you can't know who you got to speak to you can't even know what your research goals are if your purpose is always we need to ship this feature or ship this product because that's not a purpose that's like an outcome and they're asking you to design the outcome without knowing like why and that conversation kept just going up the chain right like i was like yeah you gotta fill this out and everyone was getting really frustrated and everyone was definitely getting frustrated with me because I was like, yeah, you can't, you can't go forward with this project if you don't know why, why you're, you're doing it. Um, uh, and it got to the point where like there were some really significant problems that everyone was experiencing within, within the product organization, um, which I had diagnosed as like clarity of decision making and accountability to like setting the direction and, and, and what we're going forward. And I was like, oh, cool, this is really interesting. There's not much I can do from a research perspective to solve this problem. And I can't make your research quality better or faster or like, you know, more valuable if I don't have the inputs coming down when it gets to research. And so that then created a thing where I went and interviewed lots of the leaders in product about like what what's what's your struggle like with with getting work done, um, and I, I produced this report and I gave it to them all. I said, hey, look, this is what you're saying. You're all saying these three points, and they're like, yeah, this is exactly what's happening. And and it was it sounded like the first time that a group of them had got together and collectively seen the thing they were all individually experiencing. And I was like, right, okay. So when we talk about silos, we don't just mean silos of like, you know, product org or, or something. We talk about like silos as um, maybe even a working method that is in, what do you call it? Like, like it's counter to most of the way that design and specifically research actually works, which is yeah. open and collaborative and transparent. And so from that, like um, I worked with like the the lead design designers and the lead PMs, like the the top top directors, to develop like a, a new approach to strategic planning because like 
it was coming out. Everyone was like really confused. Like they didn't have this clarity. And so we built like a new process and then um, I owned, which was just run through, like I owned the first section of this, which was how do we engage the entire organization in this planning process to make sure that they know all of the inputs going in and we can start to capture all of the context that they're experiencing within their own teams and then feed that into the product management process into like, you know, refining what you're going to work on for next year. Um, and that was really challenging uh, and really challenging because I am open and transparent and want people involved and to be able to see the outputs and contribute back to it in a real iterative refining way to get like my belief here is that like if you do it that way you get to a point where people don't need to be explained the context of everything because they've seen how it's been generated and you can also point back to key points where you say like this group of things that you're talking about we rolled that into this project and you can see because we're dealing with xyz and um yeah, I was really nervous because like, you know, you're opening something up to the whole organization and after, you know, talking to people, I was like, I think, I think there's like excitement and, and, and talent in hidden places here that aren't getting an opportunity to contribute. Um, and we ended up getting like a hundred submissions to opportunities like that we could pursue. And one of the things that I did was I, I built a lot of content around this is the market of workforce management that we exist in. So mm -hmm. when you're thinking about opportunities that we could work on, this is the space that we inhabit and these are the directions that we could be going. And it's not that any direction is wrong. It's just that you need to know which ones align more to our previous strategy and, and, and what we're doing. Uh, and then also gave them frameworks about like when we make product decisions, we use these basic things like you know, product market fit like gave them like some really good definitions and some working titles and stuff like that um and then also like different strategies around how we build product like you can go like and be an all-in-one or you can be like a vertical SaaS, and then explained all those concepts and gave that to the whole business because i was like well if we're all we're all going to talk the same language we're all going to have conversations about like some real specific stuff and then hopefully that means that like our conversations are more meaningful and focused and we can actually talk about what we're going to try and achieve. Um, and then uh, like, so that was really good. Everyone's like super duper pumped about that. And then like also during that like process creation, rolling it out and seeing what everything was, there was also this really fundamental thing missing from my research plan. So I've been building like a research process to try and, fit within the product process within the organization so i think mm -hmm. like before before the latest version there were there were three other iterations of this trying to fit it and trying to put like stage gates and uh like you know tasks that you need to do at each each level and um what i actually found was uh, like i needed to work with people actually at capturing the knowledge about how projects came into existence rather than just focusing on what they needed to learn and, and, and where they got that knowledge. And so after doing this like big strategic process, um, the, actually last week, like I, I ran and I'm still running a lot of individual sessions with squads using my research planning template to walk people through defining how a project even came into existence within the organization and why it's important to the organization and then who specifically that we're working with, is it important to and who's it going to affect? And then turning those into um, like knowledge gates. So I, I turned those into four gates of sequential questioning, which was you need to be able to answer why like why would we do this project and you need to have like a pretty good answer 
to that and it needs to be like pretty well formed and, and it can be from like you know our our general knowledge of everything that everyone agrees with and once you like kind of okay with that you can go on to the next question but you can only move on to the next question when there's a solid enough foundation about like why we would do this and that's is it worth doing handoff points Mm. yeah 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 and so the second question is is it worth doing and it's like well you know those the three questions that i go through and facilitate with them are really great at kind of highlighting all of the things that we believe are worth doing and so you've already kind of got this starting place where you can you can add that stuff and talk about it and as a squad talk about it as well like not individually um and then once you know like once you've got a solid foundation of is it worth doing you're like well how would we how would we um sequence it so then breaking apart all of the things you could do into the sequence and then finally which is how would we build it which is the last question and everyone had been starting there and then going back up the chain and realizing that they didn't have anything documented about the previous stuff. And that's why we kept running into those problems. And so I've been, I've been running this for like three weeks because I, I did a week of testing. Like I did a week of testing to help refine it. And then a week we had our on-site for product planning last week and ran it with teams as I, as I were going through that uh, and then have followed up because it, it just turns out that there's a lot of stuff that they need to know um, from these conversations. Uh, and it's been really great at giving people a way to build the narrative of what is the thing they're working on and have a way to introduce people to it and assess that if we're going to say that this is why we're doing it, how do we know that that like everyone's on the same page and aligned and where is any documentation, any conversations, anything written down that shows that. And we're kind of at the stage now where like the research planning is like at the end of this, the things that you don't have solid written down evidence for, that's your first task. Like in the research planning process is go out, get that stuff, get the numbers, get the conversations, put it in one place. And then once you do that, you will see we don't have anything that backs up this vague statement <laughs> and, and we don't know where it came from. Um, and that becomes a risk. And you're like, cool, like, and now that's a risk. And you can choose to move forward and have it as a risk or you can choose to address it and like just get a little bit of information for that. Um, and I've been doing that with them uh, and it's been really good at, I, I guess, like taking the team getting them aligned and figuring out where that depth of knowledge stops. And most of it is, is it worth doing? Because I have statements of saying what, like it costs, it costs support a lot of money. And I'm like, excellent. Well, you go and talk to our head of support and you get the numbers because you know, they're tracking this. And if you're saying that this is important for this reason, you want to have the numbers behind it so that, like people can weigh up is this support cost mm -hmm. better to fix than the support cost of the other project <laughs> you know and, and the funniest thing is that like you know eight out of eight out of nine of the projects all have it costs support a lot of money and i was like well this is really good because like i've been working with the, with the support team as well over the last year and i was like yeah they they have like incredibly solid numbers now and you can now like you can use that to set your OKR, your KPI to say, we're going to reduce this and we're going to reduce it by doing this thing. And you get to, and you and the squad get to control that and control your destiny rather than someone saying reduce support costs. By and find out grand. how successful your destiny was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think, I think it's always funny. Like everyone, everyone gets the, um, the SAT score as like a, a default OKR. Yeah. Mm. And so like, I think in general, like the thing, cause, cause when you're doing this as well, like you're always like, you've always got your own assumptions here, right? Cause my assessment using the eight pillars, which is brilliant. Um, 
I used that as the assessment framework to diagnose what was happening within the organization. And I am writing a step-by-step guide <laughs> on how I did that because uh, wait, wait, wait. Very no, 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 but before, before we even go there, because I mean, you know, I know you did this with jobs to be done way back when, like before, before we go any further, I am going to say, okay. hey, so when you when you get this kind of tweaked out, you are going to let us have this this template for because I know you started with. The problem was they didn't know who to talk to because they didn't know what to ask the people to find out who was a good participant because they weren't. They were starting at the very end with the outcome, so they didn't know what to ask about why. So that's where you started with operations, and you've had to go through this whole process to like help them figure out how to define a product development project. So you're going to give us this template to include with this this podcast, right? Eventually. Oh, yeah. I mean... Yeah. yeah, I keep I keep posting screenshots of my figma my fig gems in the channel, being like, "Hey, this is the this is the thing that I think about when I think about this," um, which is really good. Okay, so <laughs> thank you again for interrupting my forty minute conversation about. Oh no, I, I, I'm taking notes. <laughs> um, uh, this is the thing: is that like. All of the processes for everyone no, listening no. on radio. I have just showed Rowan my incredibly long, uh, handwritten notepad. I w- I have been taking notes. I'm enjoying it. Not a, it's so weird because one of them says like never invite Rowan back onto a podcast. So like I, no. I love that. I love that task. Um, it, it is because so often the things that start with with research operations because research operations is what what seems like an inert role and and research does touch so many parts of an organization it feels like an 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 inert role it is not and it becomes an organizational psychology role and you do end up doing a lot of product development work yeah yeah and it's it's also like not so one of the things that's really interesting right is that like all the research stuff that you're you're trying to introduce as ops has to be in like you know it has to be um, enhancing what's already there unless someone has made the decision to throw everything out and start again so you're always going to come in and you're always going to have existing ways of working existing tools existing processes um even if like the existing process is we don't have a process like it just means that the process is in people's heads and it's just not written down because everyone has a process um so you're always going to walk into that situation and so being able to kind of like get a diagnosis of what you think is going on and then run projects to test out those hypotheses that you have um, to see like does it change behavior does it actually open up a new front on your um uh, like exploration like you know the the smallest things that you do are the way that you test whether or not like your your big assumptions were real like it's okay holly it is just like you know product development double diamond the entire way down like it's like it's just like it doesn't matter if the whole way down is just talking to people figuring out what's going on making some assumptions having a go at what's the what's the most uh most viable way to test this stuff with Mm -hmm. the resources that you have available and the culture that you're in and then like refining and pivoting the only along that way yeah the only the only research ops role where where that isn't valid is in like a very large organization when you have multiple research ops roles who are doing very discrete parts of a research ops task and they're doing only recruitment for a specific type of recruitment role or they're doing only knowledge work and it's only a specific part of knowledge work and that's a very very small subset of people it's a very yeah. like and, niche role. And it's also like they had to make the decision that that was the structure that they were going to do mm-hmm. with research ops and how did they come to that conclusion? Yeah. And 
you know, the question I want is like, and how did you secure money to be able to get more people to do this? Although I do see like heaps of like finance places, like banks and just large organizations really investing in ops now. Like I think, oh, yeah. I think it's sad being it's sad being in Australia at just at the moment and seeing like eight million ops roles blowing up in um, in the US because I'm like look at like something has happened and everyone's like we need people to help us structure this. It, I know I know what's happened. Holly, you keep talking to people, so please continue doing that and then yeah. raise up. Just come into Australia. Going to Australia, everyone, everyone in Australia seems to be tied up with their organization at the moment, which uh, is its own thing. There's Atlassian. Um, There's Atlassian has a centralized ops organization, and uh, yes, the golden P three, the construction people, and there's a couple of others too. Yeah. We're all trying to steal Atlassian, but they keep hiring everyone. Yeah. <laughs> they keep hiring they keep hiring everyone. And I'm like, but if you take all of the people away from everywhere else, how is everywhere else gonna handle this? I know. <laughs> like, damn you with your perks and your brand and your pay. <sighs> but yeah, yeah. Like I but I think that that's good. And and Atlassian as well. They they went through a process, like at least mm-hmm. went in there and and was like we're not messing about and this is how no. we're going to do it and they have a they have a she does not mess about structure she's no, not messing no about. faffing about not a single person has ever mentioned to me that lisa faffs about no uh, she does not yeah so uh uh so yeah like i, I and i think that like that's a, like that's a real success story uh, i think at last is like a really real success story and, and one that we're we're always trying to replicate yeah we're always trying to replicate everywhere else until we can get the funds. Sometimes sometimes I get money from organizations and then sometimes the budget gets tight and we lose our budget. Well, I think part of I think I think part of what helps keep the budget is the the evidence that you bring with things like a good process that shows savings and um, bringing in new sales <laughs> because yeah. you show that certain customers belong and others don't because they're costing money. I'll, uh, I'll, I have a slightly different, process. I have a slightly different view on that, Holly. I think that all of our budgets, whether you have them, whether you don't have them, are mostly at the whim of whoever is in charge of your department. And even with evidence, you, like you can't you can't always keep it, if that makes sense. Because I think um, I think a, a lot of a lot of conversations I've had are about providing the evidence for things and why they're working, which I always have. And I always have like, and not always have numbers, but the majority of the time I have numbers and like real dollar savings as well. And like where we want to get to. Um, and, and, you know, if, if people who control the purse strings just want to invest in something else as well, like, you know, they're going to take your budget away. And so it's like, it's, uh, mostly what I want to say with this is it's not, always going to be your fault because you didn't provide enough evidence because often times there is no amount of evidence in the world that is going to change someone's decision that they've already made and what can become really apparent in a lot of organizations is great quality research with very obvious insights that are like oftentimes irrefutable don't get up and they don't get up because people who make decisions get to make decisions and it's not your fault for not delivering it in the perfect way. It is a signal about 
the way decisions are made in the organization, who makes them, you know, what they care about, what they're trying to achieve, and where you fit into that vision and like where you fit into that that like way of working. And I think that like a lot of times in previous organizations, I've been like really stressed about that stuff and really anxious and uh, and self-conscious about like, am I doing everything right? And uh, I think moving moving to try and understand it as you don't have you you have little to no control over any of that stuff, and you're there doing great work because you know that your work is great and you know that it helps, um, and you can see it help in many places. And if you're not invested in in that role, if you're not invested in in research ops, that's not that's not on you. That is just a signal that maybe you're not in an organization that is right for the kind of wonderful creativity that you bring through your practice. And there is plenty of organizations out there that want you because like as soon as you go and talk to another another organization, they'll be like, damn, they're like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? This is amazing. And I, I think that like um, as our profession, you know, as our discipline grows, um, you're going to run into more and more situations where it might be framed that you're not doing like ops well. And I, I think it's really important to develop a great personal sense of perspective about is it is it you not doing things well or is it that the organization isn't keen to use operations and process and documentation as a way to mature and grow and and they're two different things because you know we're always everyone in the community is always like hey uh i don't know if i'm doing anything right uh could someone please just help me and then every time I talk to them they've got this amazing process that they're doing and it looks beautiful and wonderful and I'm like yeah no mate it's not you don't stress like you're you're doing great and um the fact that you're even self-aware enough to ask the question means that you're doing great it's like the best thing I have heard all month like that that if entire it, paragraph was just was just like it's not it just you're doing great <laughs> I have, I have an open, uh, like a, a an open um, invitation to everyone. That is, if you are doing research, if you are doing research ops, if you're doing design, and at some point you feel like your shit or like your work has made you feel shit, send me a DM and we'll talk for three seconds, and I'll tell you how fucking great you are and how amazing you are, and then like. I will just, I will just eviscerate the self-doubt that they're pumping into you because it's not real. You're amazing. And like, don't, like, don't let it like eat away at you because like, we want you to be the best version of yourself because we know that our community is like kind and caring and pours like their soul into their work. And I want to make sure that you don't feel shit for doing great work and that you know that your work is great so yeah hit me up anytime uh because i just love hearing about what people are, are working on and like every time that like i've, I've talked to people specifically in the reots slack community as well um all the, all the people that have had like doubts about their work have actually been doing really phenomenal work um Sometimes, like you know, you know, like I post a lot of screenshots of my half thought out models in my mind in Fijian, and um, then people talk to me about how they're doing stuff. I was like, mate, like that's so amazing! Like, please, you should tell more people. I'm like, you should tell more people about this because that's way better. Imposter syndrome in our community is rampant because the people in this community are amazing and giving and. Like I have, I never ceased it. Like I realize I give a lot to the community. I have never ceased to be amazed by how much people give to this community. It's, and yes, like doors are always open. You will obviously talk to anyone for a while 
you know, I, as will I. So yeah, no. Every time someone posts something, like, so I, I think someone posted about um, site intercepts for like intercept surveys. Yes. And I was like, I was like, oh, oh let me like, oh, let me tell you about all the things. Let me tell you about all the things about this. And I, I think she wrote back, she's like, maybe I won't talk to you forever about it. I was like, I understand. We got to we got to cap it at a certain amount of time. Otherwise, like we will just go back and forth forever. Yeah, I know. All right, so hot take time, and you know, yeah. and and I know it's something you can go on forever, and I know that it's something that anyone in the community could go on and on and on forever about. How do you feel about the democratization of research? I promised I would keep this concise, and so I'm going to try really hard for you. Okay. Um, it is good in certain circumstances for certain parts of the research process, and you should constantly reassess it for whether it is the right vehicle to achieve the thing that you're trying to achieve within the organisation but do not get bamboozled with someone who says they want to democratize research when what they want to do is just say that they've ticked the box, that people have done the research so that they don't get questioned about why they've made such shitty product decisions. Mm. That's my concise way. And I could go into every single aspect of that. And some things you just need to control because no one in the organization has the quality that that you need them to have to hand over. There's certain things that if you're doing detailed, in-depth, qualitative, upfront, open, generative work that you really you probably need to hire a freelance expert to do, you know? I, I mean, even just qualitative interviews, rely on your in-house researcher for that stuff. Um, yeah, I, I hands down agree. Also, um, 10 of 10 for use of bamboozled. Excellent use of the word bamboozled. Love it. Holly, I'm gonna let you know. I I use superlatives all the time, and <laughs> I love alliteration. I love superlatives. Mm -hmm. I love just adjectives and stringing them together because I find it really fun. And um, some people do not appreciate it. So I on got this, to use on the this word time, portmanteau the other day, and just about uh, like, whoops, I haven't gotten to use portmanteau in years. It's wonderful. I don't even know what that means. Where you so now I'm going to look. I know. No, go look it up. So uh, I'm going to look it up and I'm going to drop it in our next conversation. I know. Well, I, man, I like. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're going to go. You're going to go. You're going to go look it up right I was now. Gonna, no, no, I was going to be like, like, it's it's so wonderful having these conversations with you as well. Um, and I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate it because um, having the time to talk about a lot of the stuff that we do with ourselves in like, you know, small teams and by ourselves helps refine like how we're thinking about this. And it's really helped me. And I like even the fact that you're like, Ron, there's like 30 topics. By our last conversation, you're like, Ron, there's like 30 topics that you talked about here. Like, let's just pick one. And also during this one that we picked, absolutely went off the rails. I was like, yeah, okay, perfect. This is this is this is what I need. So like I want to say thank you and thank you again for doing this stuff to the community as well, because it is a wonderful community. I was working IT and I found UX and I was like, oh my God, I love these people. And then when I was in UX, I found researchers and I was like, oh, oh, here they are, here they all are. And then, and then all the My research people. ops people got together and I was like, you are nerds like me. Let's talk about nerd stuff forever. The researchers like, just, who really loved helping each other at work got together and were like, wait, 
this is also a thing called operations and you get to do like business anthropology and organizational psychology. Wait, what? And there's some agile. Wait, this is a thing. I'm excited for the next niche community that the research ops people create out of research ops people that like to do things. We're going to do, we're going to do like uh, operational culture building or something like that, which will be, which will be the method of, using using product development structures to change organizational culture i've coined it here i've coined it here operational like oh, culture see, the culture operationalization people are going to be upset with you they are they are and they'll be upset until i can secure them an extra 100k and then they'll be like yeah i'm really happy like exactly mm -hmm. exactly we'll start we'll start a channel <laughs> <laughs> well thank you test Rowan. it out Thank you. We'll see you again and, in the Slack. Yeah. See ya. And that's today's podcast. If you've got more questions, you can always ask them in Slack. If you're not in our Slack community yet, you can join our Slack through a link in the banner image of our website at researchops.community. Everywhere else you can find us by searching for Research Ops Community or at Team Reops. Until then, we'll see you on Slack.